We're thrilled to have returning to the show writer and baseball analyst with TSN and Blue Jays insider Scotty Mitchell. Welcome back to the walk-off, man. Thanks for taking the time. Thrilled. You've lied once already. Well, you know, it is what it is. I'm just happy that you uh, last minute jumped on board with this. It's great, bud. <laughs> hey, man, it's uh, it's January in Toronto. The sun hasn't been out in literally a month. So I got all the time for you need right now. Perfect. I know I mentioned this before we before we started here, but I'll say it again. Every year you do your top 50 prospects in the Blue Jays system. And I look forward to it every year. You're thorough. You deep dive into it. You're mentioned guys that I've never heard of and can start to follow and get excited about and uh, start DMing and bothering them to come on the show. So you're you're a big part of this that you don't even know, man. So great job. And thanks again. Yeah. <laughs> hey, man, I appreciate that. I kind of talked about that on, on my own podcast the other day. And I, I love doing it. I was a I was a huge prospects nerd even before I, I got into this. I, I kind of told this story. We're gonna tell this story on one of my podcasts. I, I think I started following prospects in 07, 08. I joined this like high stakes dynasty league. It was like a hundred players deep, thousand dollar buy-in. I was like, man, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm, I need to win this. So just since then, I, I, I've always loved, you know, kind of prospect pro- prognostication and then obviously turning into what I am now, you know, a few years later to be able to talk to scouts and, you know, actually get the ground floor info and be the one writing the reports. And I always want to reiterate and remind people that I, I'm not a scout. You know, everything that I write in those pieces is is coming from, you know, people inside organizations that are outside the Blue Gut. Blue Jays organization, obviously p- opinions on on players from from inside the organization, you know, coaches that work for, with them, things like that. I obviously have my own opinions on players. I I, I have no problem giving them, but those reports are, are written off, you know, experts. You know, the mm-hmm. people that uh, that watch these players for a living and evaluate them for a living. So you know, that's that's the cool part. It's being able to get that info on the ground floor and then, you know, obviously order it in my subjective ranking. And I, yeah. I talk about that in my latest pod. It's, you know, don't argue with me about 12 versus 14. Like, you know, if you, you can put whatever player you want in that kind of subjective order. It's about the meat of the info in the in the blurbs. Truly. And you may not be a scout, but you're a hell of a researcher. And And let's start with the farm system here, because I mean, there's not a heck of a lot else going on. Uh, the Jays farm system, according to Baseball America, the last year has not been ranked overly high. Although they did just release a couple months ago that the Blue Jays pitching prospects and development is actually ranked sixth in baseball right now, which is definitely encouraging. My question for you is, is the farm really as shallow with position players as maybe it's being framed as? Interesting, interesting, interesting take. I, I I don't I didn't see that baseball America piece. I did see something, but was that the analytically driven one where they were yes. they were sixth? Okay, yeah, that's a that's a little bit different. So when you when you look at kind of the strengths of this farm system, to me, it, I love position players. You know, you look at my list from number six through number nine. Leo mm-hmm. Jimenez going to be the everyday shortstop in Buffalo. He's also on my breakouts piece. Absolutely love this guy. I think he has a breakout season in him. I've been maybe saying that for three years, so I'm going to triple down on it and and think it's coming this year. But there's some really good markers in terms of the power. And the interesting part is he's a sure shot shortstop, which obviously has value. And that's another reminder about my prospects list where 
you know, the subjective nature can kind of come in. And it's not a fancy list. You know, this is based on real life value. If you can play shortstop full time in the big leagues, you're going to get a hell of a bump versus somebody that, you know, is a, a platoon kind of corner guy who doesn't give you much value. And, you know, that would be different in a fantasy list. Like David Schneider's eighth. It's a big point of contention on, on my podcast, had a bunch of players. I actually had internal people. And, you know, this is the interesting part. When I run my list by, you know, certain people that I trust, they say, you know, David Schneider's too low. He's raked in the big leagues. And I'm like, okay, still my list i can do what i want but you know the fantasy value of that if you ranked him it would be totally differently so you got leo jimenez at six you got addison barger at seven you got davis schneider at eight you got alan roden at nine you got damiano palmigiani one of my faves who i could probably if he mentioned who would go davis schneider from this prospect group this year in the second half could be him mash mm-hmm. lefties and then spencer horowitz at 15. so that's a real nice layer of depth that the blue jays have in the upper levels that not that's a lot the of thing too have. upper levels right like these are guys that are are on the verge they're ready most of these guys are are baked and, and ready to contribute you know are there going to be growing pains absolutely they're not going to all come up and be david schneider and look david schneider isn't going to be that this year either he, he's not going to slug 600 i'm sorry you know expectations need to be kept in check a little bit so it, it's interesting i think when you look at the the tiers of this system you know it's ricky tiedemann alone obviously it's Arelvis alone too then I got a group of, you know, three young guys that are kind of hopefully the future in the Blue Jays' eyes in, you know, Namala, Barriera, and uh, Bonilla. And then you have those upper level, you know, kind of depth guys. So I think, you know, not a ton of just blue chippers, but in terms of depth, I think they have a really nice layer. And, and that's where you look at this system and say, they said the same thing. I don't know where Baseball America has them, you know, 20 to 30, very subjective bottom third. They've got a, you know, potential ace and some, some nice talent that everybody has. But I think when you look at the strength, I think it's actually upper level. And then interestingly enough, not enough pitching. The reason I think Baseball America has them, and I didn't, didn't see that piece, is some of the analytics guys in the lower levels, like Fernando Perez. I, I think they're very high on. I absolutely love this guy. He He's ramped way up my list. You know, Nolan Perry, some guys like that. So, you know, it's, it's really tough to kind of look at this system and say, a year from now, you may look at it totally differently if there's a few breakouts, because there is talent. But right now, it's it's definitely bottom third. I mean, this is what people forget too, is that the prospect rankings is such a crapshoot. Like, honestly, one year can make yeah. all the difference in the world, depending on how guys are developing and so on and so forth. I know you did mention Arjun Namala, and I, I was curious on your thoughts on him. I know he's 18. I know he's raw. I know he's young. I know there's a lot of development left. Play shortstop, plays third base. Where are you on? Where are you at on Arjun? Should Blue Jays fans be excited? And can you see him sticking at shortstop? Early, early. Look, I I think he's probably a third baseman in the end, but yeah, it's way too early to kind of say those things. I remember, I'm old enough to remember Corey Seager, who's never going to be a shortstop, always a third baseman. You know, that's just how it is. You look at Manny Machado. I mean, the guy could have played shortstop signed as a third baseman now he's a third Mm -hmm. baseman but look i I think he's a left side guy the arms enough it's going to be the bat right he's if he stays at shortstop it's because the bat is so good that you can live kind of with the boba defense which is okay i was just going to make that comparison yeah yeah 
And that's what you do. You, you have to have the elite bat to be able to carry that. And if you're just not good enough defensively, he's going to shift third and then you got to hit for a whole lot of power. And I, th- I think that's where, you know, the excitement comes with him. You know, the guy's an explosive rotator. He's got a very, a very unique swing. And I'm very interested. He's one of my, you know, preference guys to go see in spring training to see just what his swing looks like. Because there's a little bit of a bat wrap, a lot of moving parts. But man, when he barrels it up, it goes. And that was the interesting part. Only, I believe, and don't quote me because I don't have the list in front of me, there was only 13 batted ball events this year for him. Obviously, when, when he signed, just a very small sample size. But the exit velocities weren't what people expected. So really, he, he's going to be you know closely watched early in the year. And you got to keep the strikeouts in check. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some growing pains early just based on how raw he is. You know, they signed him for 750000 under slot. It sounds like he was, you know, falling to the second round if if the Blue Jays didn't didn't pop him there. So, you know, huge, huge upside, but just so, so raw. So, you know, it could go, could go one of, you know, any ways early in the season. And, you know, if he comes out, like we kind of just talked about, if he comes out and he's, you know, raking in, in the complex league. I think they'll keep him back until the complex league, which is, is starting a little bit earlier this year, which is helping teams. So they won't need to send him to single A. And I think they learned a little bit with Tucker Tolman last year not to push guys a little bit too early. So I, I think Bonilla and, and Namala will will stay back to the complex league. And if he comes out raking in the complex league, you know, people are going to probably have him in the top 100 conversation. Sure. I mean, let them force force their way to the next level. I think that's definitely the way to do it. I know you mentioned Alan Roden. He's been on the show. And one thing about the kid, I was really impressed with what was between his ears. I mean, the guy is... He wants to be a 21... teacher, I think, or something. Yeah, right. like, like literally, for a 21-year-old dude, I was like, I think I'm intellectually out of my, out of my <laughs> wheelhouse here. Like, the kid was embarrassing me. Like, it was so impressive. I'm curious your opinion on Alan Roden. And the reason I bring him up, I know you've got him ranked ninth, but he is kind of projected as the one guy out of those prospects that could possibly, I know he'd need a big spring, but he could possibly break camp with the team. There is a spot on the roster, as of right now anyways, where he could fill. What are your thoughts on Alan Roden? And do you like what you see out of his bat? I love I love what I see of with that. I mean, I feel bad. Like last year, he was prospect number fifty one. He didn't even make the list, which is <laughs> which which is just shows you how how ridiculous this is. Because I, I wanted to put him on, and and I learn lessons every year, right? Because I had way too many kind of lower level, you know, breakout type, you know, kind of international free agent guys. And and Roden should have been on there clearly. I I'm just glad I tweeted him. I said he's fifty one. I wanted to put him on. But yeah, now he's nine. A great season. Just like so, it's interesting. He he doesn't have the the highest upside, which is obviously why he was picked where he was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a he's a lefty hitter that that gets by with a, a great hit tool, a great approach to the plate, the ability to take a walk. You know, he's a left handed hitter. He, he looks like he's going to have a tremendously you know valuable kind of on base kind of package. Split camp on where he plays defensively and sorry, maybe not where he plays defensively, but how much of an impact he has defensively. There are some people that think he's a great right fielder. There are some people think he's an average right fielder. There are some people think he can dabble in center. It's a very split camp. As far as breaking camp with the team, I've never reported that. 
seen the reports. I don't think there's any chance. The guy has not taken a AAA at bat yet. I think he's in the first layer of depth if there's an outfield injury. If he's performing in AAA, I think Addison Barger will have a say in that as well. David Schneider being able to, to stand in left field a little bit. I think Roden's still still half season away from from being ready. You know, attacking AAA pitching with the with the the ABS system up there. So, but you know, great pick, and it's just interesting how that that draft class has turned out. A, you know, two years later now, or a year and a half later, is you know I had you know Dowdy and and Toman, you know, way yeah. up the list last year. Josh Kasovich, those are the three bats they took before Roden, and now Roden's ahead of all of them. So yeah, there you go with with prospect pro- prognostication. But you know, very good, very good. Uh, you know, on base hit tool package. You know, just not the huge upside because of the athletic ability. But you, you mentioned very smart. I, I asked a couple of people uh, this winter, who should I have on my podcast? Like, who's who's interesting? And Alan Roden was the name that you know kept coming back. So glad glad you have him on. I'll have to go check that one out. Yeah, absolutely. It was a great cast. Before we move on to the big club here, Scotty, we just mentioned David Schneider. Obviously, he's going to be given his chance to play full time with this team, or at least be a very big contributing member to the team. When you look at the prospects that you've just ranked out of those top 50, if you were to make a bet as to who will be the next Davis Schneider, and by that, I don't mean breaking all MLB records for starts. I just mean like an actual contributor who sticks with the team and kind of forces his way in. Do you have a name or two that you'd put a little bit of dough on as to uh, the I next guy? To be I kind of just guy? answered your question, unfortunately. Da- Damiano Palmagiani. Uh, okay. Yeah, Paul Maggiani and and Leo Jimenez. Look, Paul Maggiani brushes left-handed pitching. Look at my fourteen, fifteen. Paul Maggiani and Spencer Horowitz. If that's a a BH platoon at some point this year, based on injuries, based on performance, that would not shock me one bit. And not going to lie, I think that could be a fairly productive one. So this guy could come up and play a role against left-handed pitching. He's one of the best fastball hitters in the system which obviously allows you a lot of leeway in the major leagues. If you can't hit a fastball, especially a high fastball, um, you're going to have a hole that you know can get exposed pretty quickly. I and mean, we actually saw that with, with Davis, and he was pretty open. You know, the high fastball had given him troubles kind of throughout his career, and he had really worked to close that up. And, and he obviously did at times. And then there were times where he was exposed with the strikeouts. And, you know, you swing through high fastballs, you become way more susceptible to the slider off the plate, and it's tough. So, you know, those two guys and Jimenez, you know, I, I think is a, a layer of depth that's excellent because I think he can come up with an injury and, you know, maybe, be, well, we'll see how the offseason shakes out or whatever. But I, I think he could be a better option than a Santiago Espinal or something like that at short. and. I'm super interested to see how much power Leo shows at AAA. I think his career high is seven or eight last year. Seeing this guy take BP, man, this guy can hit 15 or 20. And I, I don't know if I'm irrationally high, but those two guys are are the guys that, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if if both of them impact the team in some way just due to injuries. That's exciting, man. I know we had Parmigiani on the show as well, and he was cracking us up. He's a bit of a clown. I kind of got a kick out of him because he kept, yeah, we were teasing him about how you got to say his name with the Parmigiani, right? <laughs> he was just yeah, how do they do? I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, yeah, I know. It, it's very, uh, he's very Italian and then Canadian kid. So obviously we're rooting for him. I've All just right, been calling him Dom P. So I've, I try to short. Very it safe. It's very safe, Scotty. It's the way to go. All right, let's take a left turn here and talk 
the Toronto Blue Jays, the big league club. I know the moves that have been made so far have not excited the fan base overly, right? Whenever you raise the floor, it's about the least sexy thing you could possibly do. And I know that there's another shoe or two to drop here. There has to be. But when you look at this club right now as is, what are your thoughts? Well, look, here's the thing. I, you know, I agree. I, there's a lot of offseason left. I, I, I don't want to date this, but I, I tweeted about Jorge Soler today. I'm mm-hmm. assuming by the time this comes out, because I wouldn't be surprised if he signs today, that you know, he'll, be, he'll be off the board. So, you know, there's still talent. When you look at Jorge Soler, then you pivot to the J.D. Martinez, Justin Turner group, you know, on a short-term deal. I think they could be very productive you know, pieces in terms of DH, you know, potentially a little third base, second base, first base for Turner. So there's still talent out there. Once you get past those guys, you're in the Jock Petersons, you're in the Brandon Belts if he decides he's playing this year, you're in Joey Vados, you're in the Tommy Fams. So there's a lot of platoon guys that I, I think, you know, the Blue Jays are, are kind, of, kind of just waiting out. There's a little bit of money to spend. There's obviously holes. They need a, a bat that can, you know, rotate through the outfield spots with Dalton Varsho, Kevin Kiermaier, way too many at-bats for them last year against left-handed pitching. They need a right-handed outfielder. Obviously, that is going to factor into the DH spot. You know, I think if you sign a J.D. Martinez, obviously, that's a that's a full-time DH. I think that would be a great signing, one-year deal. Very productive player. Never forget that the Blue Jays love exit velocities. Any player that has a high... Exit velocity, they're going to be in on a free agency. I call it the Kendry Morales effect uh, from, from <laughs> a, a ton of years ago. But but that was the first that was the first time I realized what this re- regime kind of had, you know, yeah. what they were into and things like that. You, you get those guys and and they're investing in them, hoping hoping they pop and have that career year. So look, I, I think I don't think this team's good enough right now. I've been saying since you know the day they got booted in Minnesota, though. It's all about internal improvements, man. Like the pitching staff, we know how good that is. They still need some depth because they're not going to stay as healthy as last year. But, you know, the difference between this team being a 93-win team and winning 86 games is our Vladdy, George Springer, Dalton Varsho, Alejandro Kirk. Are those four guys what they were last year or are they what their ceiling is? If Vladdy mm-hmm. comes out and is an MVP-type player, that ties this lineup together if george springer gets back to hitting for power that dried up last year great leadoff hitter if alejandro kirk is you know hitting 310 and you know driving guys in from the the five hole or whatever it is completely different team Um, add a healthy danny jansen to that would be huge too yeah that's the thing danny jansen if you if you look at his numbers and take them all from the last three years he's been one of the most productive catchers in baseball and people completely overlook that guy his last 162, Scott. He's literally, you put his numbers next to Marcus Simeon and they're the same numbers. And I know that drives people crazy when I say that. They get all furious. But like, that's just the case. Like the games he's played, he's Marcus yeah. Simeon at the plate. I know Danny Jansen better than probably anybody on this team because I love going and talking to him. And every time he gets hurt, the disappointment on his face, he goes, dude, things are just clicking. And it's like, yeah, man, they've been clicking for three years when you're healthy yeah. and, and everybody knows that. And that's the thing. That, so there's enough talent on this team. It's it, the internal improvements are are the absolute key. And I know everyone hates to hear that because spending money, it's it's flashy. Oh, you, you got to go spend money. No, you don't. You have to spend money in the correct ways. And yeah. waiting out markets is totally fine. 
putting together platoon situations for $6 million here, $5 million there is totally fine. That's how you win baseball games. You do not need to win the offseason. You do not need to be on, I'll, I'll shout out my guys, TSN 1050. You don't need them talking about you. I go on and I've, I'm called the voice of reason on my own radio station because they want to complain about it. And you know what? You can build baseball teams in different ways. If Vladdy mm -hmm. and Bo are MVP type players, George Springer, Dalton Varsho, Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, if they are, you know, the, the type of supporting cast that they can be with their ceilings, and then you add in a couple more pieces, it's going to be a team that is in playoff contention right down to the wire like we've seen over the last couple of years, and that's all you can ask for. Is this going to be a juggernaut, you know, LA Dodgers, Houston Astros team right now? No, but in July, if all these guys are performing and Vladdy's hitting 320 with, you know, 36 bombs in, in August, they're going to be in the mix. Shit, give me career numbers for most of the guys you just mentioned, and I'll be happy. Like last year was such an anomaly with so many guys having such down years. So fingers crossed on that front. I know you mentioned the the DH market and just how slow it's been. And I know we kind of saw the first shoe drop in Reese Hoskins going to the Brewers there, two years, 32 million. So we got that extra year, and no one thought Hoskins would it's get funny. that second year. Do you I'm actually think, just having a conversation about it this morning? Yeah. So, do you think term is part of what's holding this up? Like, are some of these guys waiting on two years? Yeah, some of them are waiting on three. Solaire's waiting on three, which I believe he's going to get because he's looked at kind of in more of the Guriel camp than the Teoscar camp. Guriel got three, three forty-two. Sorry, I'm just I'm pulling up my top fifty free agents list right now because. I've got it nicely here with, see, like a ton of talent still available on the market. There is. Yeah. It's wild. I've got, uh, you know, Snell four, Bellinger five, Chapman six, Montgomery nine. Obviously, the Jays really uninterested in those guys unless you think Chapman's coming back. I, I don't know about Bellinger at this point. That's a really weird market. And then you get into the Solaires, the, the Tim Andersons, who I love, Justin Turner, J.D. Martinez, Jock Peterson, Whit Merrifield still out there. Tommy Pham. Yeah, lots of talent. So uh, look, I, I think it's just a domino offseason that is led by kind of the top of the market. And we all know the Scott Boris effect. You know, he drives a lot of this stuff. And yeah, it, it's just I, I don't think the money has been there for the supporting guys that, you know, we knew how bad the the kind of the the position player market was. And I think teams have just kind of looked at it and said, we're not all that interested in these guys. We're, we're just going to wait it out. And a lot of these guys are going to end up taking taking one year deals. And yeah, I don't think it's about you know the 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 AAV in terms of kind of what they're waiting on. Yeah, it's will a team add an extra year? And I think agents are just very comfortable. And and you've got a lot of veteran guys that have kind of made money that are just comfortable waiting into into February. Well, so. it is interesting. It is interesting because you did mention Scott Boris, and then you just kind of gave the top remaining free agents and the top four on your list are all Boris clients, right? How long yep. do you think the Scott Boris clients hold out for? Do you think it's February? Do you think it's March? Like it's starting to feel like there's a real battle of wills kind of going on between the Boris Corp and the rest of the organization still waiting on some of these guys, Montgomery, Snell, Chappie, Bellinger. You just mentioned them all. Do you think these guys are 
still going to get the mega deals that were kind of projected? Or do you think that there's a reality that might hit with a couple of them where the market's just not there and they might need to take, like you said, maybe a one-year deal? Like, is it even possible that we see a Matt Chapman or a Cody Bellinger roll it over one more year and try again? So a lot to unpack there. Where do I start? Look, I, 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 I'm not going to make a prediction on the Boris clients because I watched Bryce Harper and Manny Machado sign in the middle of like after spring training started. And if you would have told me like at the beginning of that offseason that, you know, these mega stars that, you know, baseball kind of rides their offseason on, you know, kind of a news making machine would wait that long. I would have never predicted it. So I, I they'll, they'll sign when they're when he's comfortable, I guess. So the, the one year thing is interesting. Bellinger, no, I think I think the Cubs have a, a, a real nice offer that he's it and you know he fits there they're obviously trying to win again the Chapman one's interesting so if you go back to my my podcast I actually did it with Gregor Chisholm from the star my boy we taped that shit sometime in November yeah maybe like November 1st it was right before the top 50 came out or right after I kind of said I said what what are the chances Chapman's market craters and he's got to circle back and take a one year and I even looked at it at the time and I said like man, like, could he accept the qualifying offer, like based on how bad his last, you know, half of the season was. So I'm not, I'm not going to rule that out that he just goes, you know, in, you know, February 12th, he goes, he goes, fuck it. I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. Oh yeah. Fucking go for it. (laughs) Good. Good to fucking hear. (laughs) It would not, it would not surprise me if, February 12th, he just said, you know what? The offers aren't there. Fuck it. I'm going to try to go out and crush it, not have a qualifying offer attached next year and, you know, make my money there. Like, so I reported kind of in a roundabout way in a column that MLB trade rumors picked up and I can kind of update it. They had, he was offered four or five, four or five years for a hundred million that he turned out. So he turned down six years, 120 million from the Blue Jays last year. So that is his best shit. Like I've already turned that down. Is he getting offered that right now? I'm not truly sure he is. So in a roundabout way to answer your question, I I would not be surprised if in the end he takes a one year and is very motivated and betting on himself. He's the type. He's the type. There is a big hole at the hot corner with the Toronto Blue Jays. Can you see a scenario where as long as they beat the qualifying offer, maybe a one year, 24, $25 million deal, him circling back and donning the Blue Jays uni again? Yeah, 100%. I, I could actually even see a multi-year deal with it backloaded a little bit. You know, I could see them saying, you know, 12 million this year, escalate that to, to kind of save a little bit. I, I could totally see that. I, I think the Blue Jays are kind of laying in wait on that one and would love to have him back because analytically the defense is, is special, man. I know. And, and fans soured on it last soured on him last year because they watched him pop balls up all the time and swing through high fastballs. And that's what you're going to get. But you know what? You might also get that one year where he doesn't swing through those high fastballs and they end up in the seats and he's playing elite defense. I'd, I'd love to have him back if I'm, if I, I'm running the team. I also would love to have him back for all the reasons you just said. And honestly, I'm a big believer in large sample sizes. And once you turn Matty Chapman's baseball card over and you look at his career average, I think it's far more likely those are the numbers we see than the last five months of last year, which 
I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was, <laughs> it was disgusting. I hated watching it. And I think that's why the fan base turned so heavily on him. It's just, man, when you're, you're in the middle of August and you're watching a guy swing through 92 mile an hour, dead center fastballs, it, it, it breaks your soul a little bit. But I think that the chances of Chapman being what he was last year is far more unlikely than what we you would see normally as his career average. Anyways, I've talked. So, 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 so hold on. You, you say all that and I, I got to pull it up now. Yeah. Super tough watching him. Totally agree. Let's see. What, what was he worth? F4 was. Oh, no. Two. Four. Four on the nose. Hold on. I'm pulling I, it up. No, double check here. <laughs> 3.5. Okay. 4.4.2 the year before. So you asked me if this team is better or worse a few questions ago. Like they're worse without three and a half yeah. more in your lineup. Yes, it's it's it comes a lot from defensive value, but do y'all remember watching Kevin Biggio there a couple of years ago? And do you remember how different it was when Matt Chapman made every fucking play and he even made the plays that he wasn't supposed to make? Like you need a little perspective here, and like you I said, mean, with the bat, part of the reason the pitching staff was so dominant was Matt Chapman, like truly, right? Yeah. So, like, so that's the funny thing with perception, right? Like two years ago, everyone's like, "Oh my god, they need to improve defensively. They need to get better at the little things." Then they go get better at the little things, and they fucking can't hit the ball over the wall anymore. <laughs> they pitch better than any team in baseball from front to back. And so I, I said this last year, I actually, I don't know where, where I say anything anymore, but you know, I just said like winning, winning three, one games is just not sexy. Like that's not good enough for people. They, they'd rather go back to 2021 where it was and win nine and five. But back then everyone's like, Oh God, the bullpen's going to blow all these games. So it's like, and they what did. Do you want? <laughs> it's like, what do you want? Yeah. You know, pitching and defense wins in postseason. I will take what last year's team looked like. And just add a little more offensive punch, and I would feel very, very good. Like, look, we all watched that Minnesota series. I watched Vladdy's ball go to the wall. Fucking John Schneider after the game, he's like, and it's true. A couple of balls fall in, maybe they get through there, but not enough offense last year, not enough punch. But it's not just adding from the outside. Not enough punch came from Springer, came from Kirk, came from Vladdy. So, speaking of pitching, Josh Hader. Probably the biggest bullpen piece on the market, I think it's safe to say, lands with the Astros. And I mean, my God, that Houston bullpen is just nasty at this point. But the Blue Jays have a pretty decent pen in in their own right. Would you rank the Blue Jays bullpen top three in the AL, top five? For sure, top five. Top three, I'd have to think about. And would you like to see one more piece added to that pen? I think they did. I think yeah, right? Yariel is the guy, right? Based on everything I heard about him earlier in the offseason, when I kind of outlined they were interested in him, they gave him a promise to start. The contract looks like a back-end starter, which means, you know, he's going to get a chance. You know, I've heard of these, you know, Shun Yamaguchi is one. He, he wanted to promise to start. They gave him totally different, you know, kind of financial dynamic. I think he was like two years, seven million, like, mm-hmm. you know, just a totally different dynamic. But I think when you look at the realistic nature of what he could provide you this year, based on how much he's pitched over the last couple of years, 
I think he ends up being a, a very vital bullpen piece by the end of the season. And then you're, you're transitioning up into the rotation for 2025. So I think he's the piece. I think you can always add a little bit of depth and I've got a, like my list is, is deep and there's tons of guys out there. Like, look, go get, uh, go get Ryan Stanek, go get, you know, Brandon Hughes is an interesting lefty. I think a lefty mm-hmm. could be nice. Jake Deepman pitched for the Rays pretty well last year. So, yeah, I think you can add something. I think it's a good bullpen. I think Rodriguez would would really add another element. You know, I heard he was up to 96, 97, 98, you know, in one inning spurts. You know, that that could be really the the tie-in. We can also go back to my prospect list. I think there's some guys that that could really help there. So, but Romano. Romano, Swanson, Chad Green. I think that could be a, a, a dominant trio back there. Tim Mesa doesn't get the love that he deserves just because he doesn't mm-hmm. throw that hard. It's health, man. I think that that that's the thing. If you if you look at this club this year that scares me a little bit, the pitching staff last year was so, so healthy. And I don't know if lightning strikes twice again. The last time I remember that happening was 2016. Mm-hmm. And the Sanchez, Stroman, that rotation stayed healthy and they won 89 games and just squeaked into the playoffs last year. Look, if, if you lose Kevin Gosman for a month and a half last year to an oblique strain, you're you probably miss the playoffs. Yeah. So that's that's where you could never have enough depth. I think it's good enough. Um, yeah, like top top five for sure. It's a play, you know, there's it's a playoff bullpen. I'm not sure. Like, you know, I would always look at Cleveland and Tampa. I don't know who who's there, but they're always going to have good bullpens. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't think they needed to invest. I think Rodriguez right now is, you know, the name that kind of people are looking at as a starter, but just with the inning limit, eventually when it matters, he'll be in the pen. You are literally in my head right now saying all my worries out loud because I am very excited about this starting pitching staff, Scotty, but I am terrified about it as well for a couple of reasons. The injuries you just mentioned and how healthy they were last year. Number two, Chris Bassett, Yusei Kikuchi, career years. Whenever you see career years, like it's it's a scary thing to put all those eggs right back in that basket, right? And although there's always surprises, and that's the thing, because if you were to have told me, go back one year from now, and you were to ask me, Scott, Alec Manoa has a 5.5 ERA, isn't even on the team by the end of the year. Do you think they make the playoffs? I would have laughed in your face and said, absolutely not. And I would have thought it was an injury. <laughs> but So who knows where they technically, are? Technically, it kind of was. It, it kind of was. So speaking of the big cat, what are your thoughts on Alec Manoa? Do you have a sense that there is a strain in that relationship with the Jays? Is he just doing his own thing at this point? Or do you think that there is a real possibility of him maybe not even returning to 2022 but my god i'll take i'll take 160 innings and a four era out of alec manoa going into 2024 is that possible sure i would i would love that yeah yeah i think that's totally possible the the curious case of alec manoa i i I said that (laughs) numerous times on on tv last year because look even walking through it in my own head, there there were so many variables. There were so many things that happened. There were so many factors at play. And honestly, I, I think I know the story more than most people. And I don't still have the whole story. Let's run through this. Comes into camp off the great year, whatever. And I'll, I'll give you the hindsight too. Comes into camp off a of great year, whatever. In hindsight, 
definitely, sorry, my phone's blowing up here. Definitely some conditioning stuff. I think he would admit that to you. He probably didn't work as hard as he needed to in the off season, you know, coming off a side year. Fuck, I might not either. So that happened. Then there's some stuff with his shoulder. Mm -hmm. Nothing super serious, but, you know, big workload. You know, I, I talked to other pitchers and they're like, fuck, you pitched a lot. You came in tired, you know, whatever. Conditioning wasn't great. Tried to gut through it. Didn't, I guess, didn't really, you know, complain about too much. We saw it early. The stuff was down. You know, it's April. He's in St. Louis. It's cold. Remember Bassett stuff was down. Everyone's talking about that. I think the shelled. innings too was isn't mentioned enough. You know, like if you look back on 2021, he pitched 110 innings, and then with with that wild card appearance in 2022, he pitched 200 innings. Like that in, in a league where 20 to 30 percent increases is the max you wish to see out of a starting pitcher. He was so far over that; it's wild. Yeah. And people, people kind of overlooked that because coming out of West Virginia, he was looked at, you know, the big body guy, like the big guys are just supposed to be able to just, just haul innings. Tanner Roark, what did, what did he call himself? The diesel, <laughs> the, the diesel engine. Yeah. 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 Like, and that's the thing. So if you had a, if you had a skinny guy, you're like, oh, you're, you're always worried about the Chris Sale type. So, oh, oh, no, it's, you know, a guy's arm is a guy's arm. And yeah. So clearly in hindsight, a lot of stuff. So, so you get through that. There's some, there's already some things going on. He goes into St. Louis, gets fucking shelled. You got to remember, this is still a kid in the relative scheme of things that hasn't, ha hasn't experienced much failure. Struggles. One start, okay. Starts snowballing. So this is where it becomes kind of tricky and subjective because a lot of people were just like, he, he just couldn't handle that, didn't know how to handle it. So conditioning's not great. Shoulders barking a little bit. Confidence is down mechanics are completely out of whack stuff is down the, the one thing i kept going back to is his average fastball dropped below the average or his his fastball dropped below the average major league the major league average once you get below the major league average the slash line whew, just takes off so i kept saying until the stuff gets back i don't think it's i don't think it's going to get much better maybe he, he's a good pitcher which is under underrated but when the stuff was down the, the mechanics were out of whack. He, he wasn't commanding anything anymore. So everything was, was just sour. So then they, they, they try to send him down. They want to send him down. Everyone agrees. Everyone agrees. There were some, you know, things worked in about when he comes back up. It wasn't, Hey, you know, he comes back up when he's ready and he's pitching. Well, it was more worked in that, you know, he comes back up at this time in hindsight, probably not the best plan that they, they devised should have had him, you know, just when he's ready. So then obviously comes back up. That's okay. Struggles a bit. Obviously they send him back down. This is where the relationship strained and to answer your question. Yes, there's absolutely a strain in relationship. Time can heal wounds. I think the off season has maybe, you know, helped out a bit, but I did report at the winter meetings. There was trade interest in him. A lot of people I talked to thought the Soto package, he would have been probably involved in that maybe not as a headliner, but as a, as a piece. And that's the tricky mm -hmm. part because there's not a lot of trade value right now. If you're the blue Jays. Yeah. If you're the Pittsburgh pirates call every day and try to get Alec Manoa, yeah. because why would you not? So all of those factors leads me to right here where the blue Jays aren't going to give them away. It is obviously what late January, still a lot of off season to go. So I, I wouldn't say that they wouldn't trade them, but right now it looks like he's going to compete and come in. 
the relationship, you know, a few months has maybe repaired itself a, a little bit with some time away. The question is, though, he's going to come in wanting to be the fifth starter. If he doesn't win the fifth starter job, then you're you're back into the relationship thing. And and look, yeah. to, to be totally honest, there were also there were arbitration things at play last year, which is why you know he went down, didn't come back up. Everything about the relationship I needed to hear was unsaid. And when every single member of the organization showed up in Minnesota, they flew player development people in, minor leaguers to support the team. No, Alec Manoa. Yeah. So everyone's seen the, you know, the social media stuff. A motivated Alec Manoa is a good thing. Looks like he's he's working hard. You know, we'll see what the stuff looks like in spring training. It could go any number of ways. You know, I think if he gets back, he's pitching well, looking good in spring training. He's going to be the fifth starter. Uriel, as we, as we talked about, is in the bullpen. You know, the relationship would be great. Oh, he's back on track. Any sort of hiccups? We'll see. And, you know, yeah. if it breaks, you know, two weeks from now that Alec Manoa is part of a package to get a big bat, would not be surprised either. But selling low on him just based on the ceiling, you know, is obviously really scary. Especially with the value attached to starting pitchers with control. I mean, we watched, I mean, Lucas Giolito got almost $40 million for two years. I mean, you can't tell me Alec Manoa doesn't have value, but he is at about as low a value as he could be at right now. Before I let you go, Scotty, and honestly, man, I am so thrilled that you made some time here and, and hopped on with us, I, I with me. I know it was last minute, but I really, really appreciate it. I know you're busy. I know your phone's blowing up. So I'll just, let's end on this. Top 50 prospect rankings, number one, Ricky T., Obviously, Blue Jays fans have been excited about this kid for going on two years now. Yep. Does he make his Does he make his major league debut in 2024? And if you're going to give on a scale of one to ten, how much of an impact he is on the 2024 season? I know this is complete speculation and just a guess. Where do you rank ten being the highest impact, one being almost not at all? Yes, he makes his debut. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, health health permitting. Obviously, we saw that last year. Any sort of injury in spring training really sets any sort of pitcher back and and completely changes the the timing and the outlook of of things. You know, he was nasty in the Arizona Fall League. The stuff looked great. So health wise, in a great position, comes into camp. He's going to start in AAA. There's going to be stories about you know he can win the fifth starters, but no, no. Oh, that's just that's just us being bored, or other people being bored. So yeah, like, I'm, I'm guilty of it too sometimes. Time, right? Like, why would they? Why would they do that? <laughs> well, yeah, and it just doesn't make any sense. And uh, you know, I'll tell you why. And the last piece of development here, and you know, it's in my prospect piece, and I've written it for two years now because he didn't get over the hump last year. He, he's never completed more than five innings in a start. He's never thrown more than eighty-four pitches. So he's got to figure that out at the AAA level where he got to last year, and. You know, the, the timeline is, is going to be really interesting. And I walked through this because it's a long-winded thing. I wrote it, but I walked through it on my podcast as well. It's This is the first time I'm ever going to predict that a top-end starting pitching prospect is probably going to be broken in in the bullpen. But when you look at just what they're going to do with them, and their MO over the last few years as an organization, you know, hasn't been to send them out and go 5-6 early and then back them off. It's been to, he'll probably go three innings, three innings, four innings, four innings, get through the cold weather. He hasn't thrown more than 78 innings in a season. So he's got, 
100, 110 innings in them. They're not going to mess around with that, as we just talked about with, with Manoa. So you got those innings. You got to get him developed to the point where in the minor leagues, he's going five, six, and turning lineups over and getting to 90-plus pitches. Then you kind of got to look at how many innings you got left. You got to look at where your rotation is, if they need him. You know, he's up in June, contributing every fifth day until you start to get to, you know, the the limit there. But if you don't need him in the rotation, maybe he comes up for a couple starts. Man, Ricky teed him in, in July, August, September, going two, two plus innings out of the pen, pumping 97, 98 from the left side. Aaron you Sanchez, just about- 2015, 2.0, basically. <laughs> I yeah, know Sanchez but- is a righty, but yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, no, 100. Like, that. that's the thing. Like, Sanchez was nasty back then. Like, you know, 97-mile-hour sinkers just sawing people off. And, you know, that that's kind of what you can look at. And obviously, the the with where the club is, you know, contention-wise, you, you're trying to win. So to break him in, kind of like Yadriel, say you got say you got 100 innings out of both of them. You know, you, you use them in the pen. Tiedemann has to develop in the minor leagues, get through the, some of the 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 you know, into, into 90 plus pitches. But when you look at realistically, what kind of impact he could have as a starter, minimal, probably as a, as a bullpen piece, I mean, I'll go with like a, like a six, seven. Like, I I think he could be one of those guys where this might be aging myself a little bit, but like prime prime before he was a closer Octavio Dotel. Yes, please. Like, like, like if he comes in, like, I'll give you like a stat line that, that, that Ricky could produce. If he comes, say he comes up at the trade deadline, they put him in the pen, he's getting in him or 25 innings. Like this guy could be like 14 strikeouts per nine, you know, kind of just wherever John Schneider wants to use him. That's what I envision. And then kind of the same way next off season, you go in, you lose Kikuchi to free agency. You got Yariel and Ricky T healthy, building up to 130. There's your four or five starters in, in 2025, health permitting. So big year for him. Big, big year to just stay healthy, get through this development piece, and then you can start being super, super excited. But as I wrote, you know, as I talked about my podcast, the Nate Pearson example is very, very real. So he couldn't get through that point five, six to, you know, stay healthy and, and sequence and, and build up enough. I think Ricky has a better chance, but it's only because we've seen what happened with Nate. So mm-hmm. hindsight's 2020. So super interesting. I, I think he plays a big role, health permitting. It's just limited innings. Love that picture you painted. That would be great to see Yariel and him kind of logging that kind of innings and and contributing in the back end of that bullpen. That's exciting stuff. Scotty, thank you so very much for joining me, man. And uh, next time I'm in Toronto performing, tickets on me, buddy. I look forward to the next time that our paths cross and maybe we can have a beer together. All the best, bud. I hope it it happens. Like I said, like I said, before we started this, I will come out to a comedy show. I've actually been trying to get out to a comedy show here locally. It's a great night out. Every time we're in New York, we we try to go to like one of the one of the great comedy clubs. So I'd love to come see you anytime. Anytime I'll come on this show. I look forward to it, brother. Take care of yourself. All the best. And hopefully next time we have you on, there's uh, actual news to talk about. (laughs) Can't promise, man. I can't promise anything. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks again. Cheers. Anytime.